Hi, I'm Tony Armstrong, host of Yacht Guy Footy. In this week's episode of the Deadliest Feature interview series, I'll learn about Adelaide Crows legend Andrew McLeod's football journey and his passion for his culture. I hope you enjoyed this yarn with someone who's been a mentor to me as much as I do. Don't forget to tune in to Yacht Guy Footy at 8 pm Wednesdays on NRTV and the AFL Network. of the Norm Smith medal for 1997 is Andrew McLeod of the Adelaide Rose. Joining us on this round of the Deadliest Interviews is 340-game legend Andrew McLeod. Before you say anything, I want to rattle off a few of your accolades. Back-to-back Norm Smiths, back-to-back premierships, five times All-Australian Bungie, once as captain, three Malcolm Blight medals, one Lee Matthews medal, AFL Hall of Fame and Indigenous Team of the Century. Um, I know you don't like uh, I know you don't like it, but how does it feel when you kind of reflect and rattle off that kind of um, a resume, brother? Sounds like you're talking about somebody else. <laughs> no, that's you. <laughs> what am I? Sounds like you're talking about one of my idols. But, uh, no, I'm very lucky, obviously, in the right place, right time. Obviously, very privileged to be able to make a bit of a go of playing a game that I love. Before we go any further into this interview, um, who's your mob and where are you from, brother? Well, I'm from the the Territory. My my mob are watermen. So from the uh, west of Catherine is uh, where my links are to, so my heritage, um, part of my Aboriginal side. I'm very lucky. I've got Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander blood that runs through and McLeod, uh, Scottish as well. But and my Torres Strait mob from uh, from Mobiorg and Badu, the Wagadagam people. So that's where, uh, where, where my ties or my lineage comes from. And growing up, was that always something that was really strong for you or was that something, you know, that as you've gotten older, you've, you've, you've lent further and further into? Um, well, when I was younger, you know, I was pretty strong in culture. We, we spent a lot of time back on, you know, when I, when I grew up in Catherine, so spent a lot of time around my family as a kid. As I grew older, when I was in primary school and whatnot, we did a lot. So we did a lot of hunting and a lot of fishing with my uncles and whatnot. We danced and we sung and we did all those things. We had a little dance troupe with my cousins as well. They used to go around on like NADOC weeks and stuff and we used to do dancing. A bit like we did some dancing many, many moons ago, Tony. That was, you know, some, some good fun with the, with the brothers. But, yeah, it's just part of, I guess it was an intrinsic part of who I was growing up. So it's very always been very comfortable in my culture. And obviously growing up as well, footy and all other sports must have been at the forefront of the things that got you excited. Describe what it was like when you were a little fella, which is many moons ago now, Bunge, uh, <laughs> <laughs> running around running around and uh, having a kick in the yard and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, who you looked up to and who you pretended to be in the backyard. Well, yeah, look, I I had an older brother, so he's four years older than me, and I used to just follow him around, and that was sort of part of it, how how it all sort of started for me. And I went through phases as you do as a kid, um, and at times I was a little the little chubby kid that could get just chucked in the back pocket, you know, you just go and sit there, and but yeah, just I just just the love of it. But for me growing up, I had lots of I was a bomber supporter. I loved the bombers. For me, it was it was Paul Vanderhaar. 
Alan Ezard. Obviously, I love some Aboriginal fellas playing as well at the time. So your Morris Riolis, which I love. He come from the Territory and was a bit of a pioneer for us as well. But my idol growing up was a Territory boy and he was the first person to be drafted from Darwin itself. A lot of guys went through a different path. They went down south and played in the SNFL or the Waffle. But uh, Michael McLean, Magic. Yeah, yep, Magic so, McLean. Number 51. So he owned one wing at the Doggies and Dougie Hawkins owned the other wing. And Madjo was a great role model, fantastic player, smooth and he, I just love watching him play. When I was a kid, I mean, I saw him, he always gave me time, which was even more important for me. What was it like having someone like Magic there, not just, you know, give you a slap up and a high five and stuff, but actually give you meaningful time when you're a young fella? You see these people on TV, like, and for me, it was like, you're catching them on the winners. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, at, we're at ABC back then. <laughs> Mum and dad let you stay up late at night. You, get to, you got to see that. Because Majo is married to one of my cousins um, who's a lot older, but it just at Christmas time and what, when he'd come home, you get to sit down with him and just have a chat. And I'd just be like staring, <laughs> at, him, you know, staring at him. He's got these bulging muscles and still to this day, you know, he's, he still looks exactly the same as he did when he played. And he'd just talk about his what he did for training. You know, he'd just come off like a 150K bike ride or something like that. He was almost before his time a bit, the way that he trained and pushed his body, probably detrimental to himself in, in the end because he had lots of soft tissue injuries. But it was just, you know, just to be able to sit there and talk about the the big league and you know, unbeknownst to uh, this little kid, uh, that one day that, you know, my dreams of being able to sit there and think about these things and kicking those socks around mum and dad's um, living room, that it had come to fruition. It was just... It was just incredible. but And, and still to this day, Majo, I keep in touch with him, and he's always got time, always got time. Such a great man, such a great mentor. Is that one of the things that, I guess, you made sure that you took into your time as a player, especially when you kind of got a bit, a bit older and senior, as to how important it was to be a mentor and, and kind of try to pass the elevator back down and make sure that you're helping not just Indigenous fellas but all the young fellas come through? I came through in a system where you had to, you almost had to earn the right. You know, it was like you came into a system and for you to earn respect, it was by the way you trained and the way you played. Oh, you had to get a game. Well, blokes wouldn't talk to you. So um, for me, I, I didn't want guys to, to be a part of that. So it was, you know, and, and I was never fearful that, you know, some young bloke was going to come in and take my spot. I was always confident in my own ability to be able to give them time. And, and if anything, that would help my game. It would elevate my game to another level because the competition coming in, the thirst, you get these brash young fellas coming in and they think that the sun shines on, you know what. But, um, <laughs> and they're cheeky. And I love that. I, I, I was that kid and I loved doing that. And when it came, when other guys came through, I wanted to be able to wrap my arms around them and, and help them out. And I tried to help you. I tried. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was just no good. Now I'm, I'm actually I'm actually better at talking about the game, Bunge. <laughs> I think I think I'm just coming into my magnum opus. <laughs> you, you did cop you copped a bad rap though. You you were cool. Um, everyone used to get stuck in the ear about they called you my son. Oh. Um, time in Adelaide, and I know it, it irked you a bit. But we're going to cut this. Yeah. <laughs> no, but what I, what I found was intriguing is that um, and we're. You know, obviously, so we've still got great relationships. We keep in contact with all those boys and we have a bit, we, there's a bit of banter that goes on. But I just, 
like as a question for you, I guess I'm turning this around now, is that how, how did you always find like you always made your way to my house at dinner time? Yeah, this intrinsic smell that was just like... Well, I could smell the curry. I could smell the curry from Glengarry and I just made the way down, down Military Road. <laughs> Auto, autopilot. <laughs> yeah. No, I must, I must say, um, when I first got to the Crows, you were one of my idols. And, you know, like you talking about um, Michael McLean, Magic McLean, you were kind of like that for me. And then I got there and we got paired up as mentor-mentee, uh, much to your dismay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it was just so great. It took me a while to become comfortable, but then once I became comfortable, um, I think my footy really blossomed to as good as I could get it. But as a person, I grew a lot as well. I've spoken about this a little bit on the show, but I, I knew nothing about my Aboriginal culture as well. Yeah. And... Spending time with you and your family and then everything that you brought around, well, not brought around, but everything that you immersed yourself in, I was just lapping it up because I'd never had anything like that before. So for me, I guess, now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of talking about what you meant to me, which is awkward. Um, um, <laughs> no, but, it's not. It's good. No. He's getting bigger in this chair. <laughs> you know, you didn't have to do it, but what it meant was a kid who didn't have any of his culture, you helped me find it and and put me on that path and you know I'm still I'm I'm still walking that path now and and I will forever but it started off you know in those first few weeks at the crows and regardless of the fact I didn't have the career I wanted on field what happens kind of below the surface in terms of culturally and personally it was it was amazing it just so happened to be that the best time to learn it was around 6:30 monday monday, <laughs> monday through friday <laughs> Uh, I think that's that's all part of it too, you know, is being a part of a, a footy club and that. And, and and it's something that, you know, you, I just helped you. Like I just gave you a little bit of a nudge. I didn't actually push it. You just, we just talked about it and we opened up about what it means. And I guess I was lucky that, you know, we, we got a number of guys and we had Graham Johncock as well. He's connected back to country and culture and family and whatnot. And, uh, and also, you know, and, and, and Jared Jackie, and and it's very important that you know blokes that um, have that, and it's being, you know, it's just part of who you are. Is that some some people, and I, I do it with my programs as well. Is that it's if we can help others to follow that path and of that that they want to, you know, it's about opening their eyes and wanting to, I guess, light a bit of a fire um, that they can. They can go and, and and ask the questions and follow things up, and that's all it's about. It's about you know how can we help, and ultimately you're the one that's got to do it, and you have, and you've gone on to, you know, discover all sorts of things, which is fantastic. You're right, and I think it was it was just kind of uh, back then we had this almost nice uh, symbiosis where there was kind of there was there was you and um, and uh, Graham kind of as our as our elders within within the group but then you had you know Griffo Jaron Jackie Jared Jared Petrenko and and myself coming through um, Griffo probably in the middle there but especially um, uh, Pup and I Jared Jared Petrenko and I we we were the ones who had the least of our culture but the rest of you were, were were quite strong and and that was good for us because we were you know even though it wasn't necessarily our own mob, we were able to able to lean into um, our culture, and yeah, I mean, upon upon reflection, that was the best the best part of my experience at the Crows was being able to to learn it off you guys. 
Oh, definitely. I think that time, um, you know, if you look back at, you know, my time in footy as well, I think that connection we had um, and some of the greatest memories for me uh, are, are around that. You know, like I said, you you guys in the backyard dancing and we're, we're learning dancing, like we're doing Aboriginal dancing and Torres Strait Island dancing. Um, and we're just all having, you know, it's all about us being connected and, um, and, and just, you know, following our own little pathways. Like from even my son to this day, you know, he, he still talks about that and how good it was. And, um, you know, for me, that's, that's some of the, the most memorable times in, in footy. I want to ask you a bit more about footy itself. So you're coming through, you're kind of on the way up. You've been talking to, to Magic. You've only seen him on the winners, but obviously you're starting, obviously you're starting to play some, some, some good footy yourself. Talk to me about, about, you know, when you started realising that, hey, I might be able to make something of this, and then who were the people who kind of helped you through that, I guess, from, you know, 13 through to going down to Port Adelaide? Well, it was fun. It was a bit of a strange one, really, because I always wanted to be... I was going to be the next Brad Fittler, next Wally Lewis. <laughs> I wanted to play rugby. One of my cousins played for uh, Manly, um, for the Seagulls, and... We just wanted to play rugby. So I was sort of going down that path more so than the footy path. And footy for me just sort of happened in the end. I was I was pretty keen to, to follow that. Glad I didn't in the end. It's just one of those things. And I played in a couple of rep sides and there's some great people in the Northern Territory who really helped me. And they, they've been involved with footy for 30... Everyone knows them in, in the Territory. It's Peter Atkinson and Wally Gallio. They're just incredible people. And they really some of the catalysts in a lot of the Territory boys that have gone on to play AFL. You know, apart from that, my parents, like I said, my brother, getting beat up by my brother in the backyard, probably the best thing that ever happened for me because, one, I learned to be fast. Two, I needed to be skillful and, and be able to sidestep. So it was, it was one of those things that, you know, always is probably the biggest influences on me, uh, uh, my family in particular, but to be able to get here. And, and um, I, I just jagged coming down. I was playing Teal Cup um, for the Territory and was able to come to, to Adelaide and I got invited by Bob Clayton, uh, the great the great Bob Clayton, who who got me to uh, to come down, and I, I stayed on for a week after the uh, after the Till Cup and was able to play a game. And then they invited me down basically next year, and um, that was it. I, I played one game in the 19s, three games in the reserves, and then I played in a premiership in the league side in '94 before being picked up by Frio. So that was sort of, it happened really quickly. So my time between probably 13 or 14 to 15 or 16 and then 17 coming down to Port Adelaide um, was just bang like that. And then, so you get down to Port Adelaide and you start playing footy. Obviously, you're playing pretty good footy. At what point in that year were you like, okay, I might be getting a gig at an AFL club here. Like things are, things are starting to look like, you know, I might, I might be landing on a list. In all honesty, TA, I was pretty oblivious to it all. I didn't realise that, that all that was going on. You know, for me, I was a—I was 17 years old. I'd come down. I came into an environment I sort of got trust in. My dad dropped me off at a place. Um, I was boarding with a beautiful family um, who looked after me. Very different in terms of culture because I came from a place where I'm eating fish that we caught or, or geese that we'd, 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 we'd hunted and buffalo and whatnot. And then I come down and, you know, I'm eating mashed potato and schnitzels and I'm like, yeah, okay, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen this stuff in my life. So it was a bit of a culture shock for me. But so just trying to, to do that, I was trying to get a job and 
make some money to pay for my telephone bills. No mobiles back in those days, so you had to wait till uh, Telstra had the cheap, cheap talking times at like eight, after eight o'clock. But yeah, it was just I, I guess I was a bit oblivious to it until the end of the the year. Like I played, ended up playing fourteen games, like I said, and, and played in that premiership. And then it was after the the season that it all sort of started to build up. Yeah. Um, I didn't read the paper. I didn't see like I didn't know. I was just in that little in that little bubble at Port Adelaide, which was a great culture, great place to be from. Learning from some some blokes that had won seven, eight premierships for Port Adelaide. Um, so it was it was fantastic to be in, in that environment. And then yeah, it sort of all, it happened really fast again. Like at the end of the season, I went to go to the the combine. There was like the start of the draft camp. I think it was the first one. So I went there, and uh, I was tried a bit of a sore leg after the grand final. So I didn't do anything really. I just sat around and watched everybody. And um, pressure was and, off. <laughs> so then you sort of just you know you just sort of don't know what's going on. Then all of a sudden um, you get a phone call. I was in Darwin. I remember I got a phone call saying, "Oh, you, um, we'd love to." Uh, is from Fremantle saying we want to talk to you. So basically that was it. I jumped on a plane with my dad. We flew to Perth and we had a conversation with the, the guys down, down there, with Jared Neesham and uh, I think it was Jared McNeil at the time as their footy manager. Um, that didn't go too well. And about, Why not? Oh, that didn't really. Oh, there was, there's a number of things, obviously. If you look back at it, and to be fair, the story gets blown out of proportion a bit because I said well, Jared Neesham didn't really know who I was. He um, had a lot of... Uh, Aboriginal fellows that were going to play at Frio. I got a couple of earrings in my ears that didn't probably didn't like too much either. Didn't you didn't know? And I was sort of like, it felt like I was being disrespected a little bit. He probably thought I was disrespecting them. Anyway, we ended up that didn't just didn't work. We uh, yeah, sort of we flew back. I flew down business class, flew back in the back seat, the last seat. Fixed the toilet. Me and my dad. I'm not getting picked up. <laughs> One of the funniest things ever. And then within 24 hours, 48 hours, I was being shipped around to all different clubs. One of your old clubs, that Collingwood was one. I was, I was heading to Collingwood at the time. Sydney, or two, Sydney were keen. Yeah, for me, God said, best thing that ever happened. I was comfortable in Adelaide, came here, you know, to be able to play 16 years for, for a great club um, and win two flags um, with, with some great mates and, and to to have a career and do what I've been able to do is is amazing. So I'm very grateful. So thank you to Jared Neesham for, <laughs> for not picking me. You're right. So um, thanks to Jared Neesham and uh, and uh, the business class there and the uh, cattle class on the way home, you end up landing at uh, the Crows. What's it like uh, stepping into an AFL club or an AFL system for the very first time? Describe that for the people who haven't done it before. Well, for me in Adelaide, it was it was crazy because at that time they were one team town. It was they were like rock stars. It was like I was walking into like all you saw these guys. All I ever saw them was doing ads for um, Hungry Jacks or Toyota and, and these types of things. And it was like wow. Homes are home. I've made a feast of this. Yep, Hungry Jacks and the Adelaide Crows, a winning team once again. Beyond like Tony Modra was probably the biggest and still is the biggest star I've ever seen. Modra. He couldn't go anywhere. He used to get followed home, and what, it was like, what, what, what is this place? <laughs> um, but it, and it was, it was a, it was an interesting time. That obviously come off a couple of, well, a, a disappointing year, or two disappointing years after making the the uh, prelim against the Bombers, where they got beaten um, in '93. 
so to come into that environment, um, yeah, it was it was it was strange because like uh, like it, it was like you came in at the bottom and you had to earn your stripes. There was a lot of older guys at the time that were probably fearful of their positions. And for me, you look you're coming in and you're like it's all quite new, but it was good. I had some there were some great people there that uh, for me that threw their arms around me and helped me along the journey. So for guys like uh, Ben Hart. For example, Mark Rusciuto, who were similar ages, they they sort of you know said, oh, "This is the way to do it." I did get thrown on under the bus by Rue in my first year though, because um, they used to have this this fat boy club. So it was like, see see how heavy you can come back at the end of the first pre after my second preseason. Uh, you believed them. I, I believed them. Yeah. It wasn't much fun, TA. It wasn't much fun. I came back. They called me the hamburger for a while. <laughs> Mate, you looking better Nick, now than than you did in that first game against Hawthorne, brother. <laughs> nah, that was my second game. Was it your uh, second? I thought it was your first. Nah, first game I played against Melbourne. Uh, I had, uh, I think I had two. Oh, I had three handballs, one kick. It wasn't much fun. That was the day. That was when you didn't. You just sat on the bench and you sort of came on. You know, maybe Light. in the yeah, like in the, the twenty minute mark of the last quarter. My second game was was obviously a lot better against Hawthorne. Kick the uh, the winning goal at the end, but yeah, it was just a it was interesting times at, at the footy club. But it was, it was it was an incredible place because it wasn't wasn't like we had the brand new facility and what they were still transitioning into um, getting I guess uh, facilities done. So had like dingy little weights room and the offices were, were were separate. They were like a fair way away around footy park and whatnot. So yeah, when when I sort of came in there, it was, yeah, it was, it was sort of in that transition phase to, to go. And, and obviously it was, blokes were working at the time still. So, you know, guys like Wayne Wiedemann, who was a landscape gardener, he'd come in after doing, a you know, 12 or 13 hours with his dog on the back of the ute and his footy bag and jump straight <laughs> off and tie the dog up outside the change rooms and then get into training. That was, or um, Rodney Maynard, who was a farmer and lived like, Three hours. He lived about three hours away, so Rocket Maynard would would drive down three hours and uh, train and and then drive home. And that's just how it was. That's amazing. And then I guess you know, not too many years after you start, you guys go back to back, and you win back to back. Norm Smiths. You go from seeing these guys as rock stars to being the rock star. What was that like? You know, trying to trying to deal with that. Well, A, what was it like winning the flags and, and winning the Norman Smiths, but then also dealing with it, you know, because everyone everyone wanted wanted a piece of you. Everyone wanted to know who you were. And then you became that kind of the guy. It was. It was quite surreal because, it, you know, I played the first year. We had to change a coach as well. So yeah. we went from um, having Robert Shaw as my, my coach for the first two years and he gave me an opportunity, so I didn't really know any different. And then Malcolm Blight came in at the end of 96 and uh, just changed the changed everything. It was like, oh, we're going to be serious. We're going to be a real team here. And we became. I've never trained so hard in my life. You know, we had Neil Craig was our fitness coach, and and you know, Craigie. Um, oh yeah, he was crazy. So we we were basically <laughs> the Adelaide Athletics Club, uh, and we were just we were ru- we were running so much. It was, but it was good, and we we needed to we needed to get to that point where we could push your body to a limit get into that hurt locker so you knew that in games when it came to the the crunch that, you know, you could stand up. And 
in that 97 season, it was like, well, Port Adelaide came in the competition, new boys. We got beaten. They beat us in the first showdown. Ooh. So I was like, wow. So we had to sort of, it was, it was hard work. And, you know, we were a bit of the laughing stock early on in that season because of that. And we went on and we probably weren't the best team in the competition, but we played good footy at the right time. And that's all you need to do. You just need, you need to do that and, and get a bit lucky. And it, it all happened quite quickly. I was only 21 at the time. So 21, win a flag, um, you know, and to, to climb that mountain was, was incredible. to put the icing on the cake and it will be the sweetest taste of all 50 metres out good kick it's close he has done it so there's nothing left now but to celebrate you're watching the last dance the other day and you think like you see the, the Chicago crowd getting around and coming and seeing him like we had over 100,000 people um, jam-packed in the uh, King William Street, you know, to come and see us um, do a ticket tape parade. That's how crazy this place, like Adelaide, was. It was good. Adelaide's been a buzz all week with the feeling that comes with winning and winning against the odds. Many have commented that they haven't seen scenes like these since the end of World War II, with people celebrating in the streets and the signs of success at every turn. You know, I think from that... It, it developed a thirst for me. Like, I played a pretty good year that year. I was uh, lucky to win the best of Ferris as well. Yeah. It drove me to be better. And then over that course from, from I guess, 97 onwards is that it was about how can I get better as a player. And at the time, I guess, well, I was blessed because I, I played in an era where there was some of the, like, Wayne Carey, probably the best player I've ever seen. You know, your Michael Bosses, James Hurds, Nathan Buckley's. The list goes on. But for me, those guys and being able to play Shane Crawford's, it, just, it was just awesome. And I, I, I loved it. Um, and it, it drove you to, to want to be better. Um, and then I suppose you won, you won 97 and then you get the hunger and the thirst. Do you reckon 98 was harder to win or you guys knew what it took so you were able to go back there again? Uh, a little bit. It was a, bit, a little bit different. We had a few guys miss out in 97 as yeah. well. Mark Rusciuto didn't play. He was he was injured in '97. Uh, Peter Vardy. There was a number of guys that, that didn't get to, to do it. But yeah, it was a lot harder. And the, and the the thing about playing in in '98, we didn't have the uh, luxury of playing home final. Did you finish seventh? We play, finished fifth. Fifth. Finished fifth. And we had to play. Um, we had to, we got spanked in the first final by Melbourne. Jeff Farmer went nuts. Um, <laughs> I, pl- I played on him for a little while. And I thought, got off him. What? <laughs> and then we had we did it tough, so we had to travel. We went to Sydney, and then we had to go back to the G and play the doggies again. Once we got to, to there, we were able to play the dogs. Sydney was a tough game in the wet, um, but Peter Vardy, I think, hit five goals. And then back to the G to play uh, the doggies, and we felt like we had their measure. We trained pretty hard as well. So one of the things that Craigie and, and Blighty did was they trained us extremely hard. And we just we just knew we were ready for a challenge. But then to beat probably the, the most satisfying thing is to beat the Kangaroos because for me I think they were the best team of the that era. Yeah. Like they were the best they were the best team. Had the best player for mine. And I just that sort of showed the measure of us as a team is that to be beat the best. And Duck still to this day says that he won us the flag because he missed those goals. But you know, <laughs> 
pressure builds diamonds, duck, and, uh, <laughs> and you couldn't step up. <laughs> the duck. <laughs> um, so uh, then you go on and I guess your footy elevates itself. Just missed out on a Brownlow, I think, in 2000 by a vote. Not, not good enough, Tony. Simple. But you just missed out, but I guess you kept on taking your footy to the next level and the next level. Then sort of early to mid-thousands, you guys are back there again, sort of contending prelims, just just losing. What was it like later on when you realised, I guess, how much like how hard it actually is to win them? Quite often players don't realise how hard it is to win when they're younger, and then as you get older you go, geez, like, whoa. Yeah, and you do. You'd certainly appreciate it. And that was one of the things that I remember. If I go back to 98 again, is a member having to like wanting to appreciate that a bit more because you just never knew when that might happen again. And yeah, in you know, like 04, 05, 06, uh, we, were, we were very good. We, you know, we finished minor premiers. Um, it was, we were probably the top two or three sides in the competition. Unfortunately, we ran into um, West Coast. Um, who were just too good, you know. They 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 beat us um, in a couple of prelims just to to knock us off. We had some injuries at the wrong time with some some players. Well, Mark Rashida got some virus that was attributed to dogs. I don't know, you know, a parovirus or whatever it's called. So that was that didn't help. <laughs> that didn't help our cause either. But it was just one of those things that obviously got beaten. And and we had some cracking games. If you look at back through them, and you go well. We, we didn't get to play in those grand finals, but West Coast, Sydney and the Crows, two very, three very good sides that just, and, you know, they talk about the separation of those games between West Coast and Sydney being only a few points here and there, but we had some cracking contests. And it was a bit, it was funny how you matched up on teams. Like, we probably had the wood over Sydney. This I was going to say this. You always beat Sydney, Sydney always beat West Coast, West Coast always beat Adelaide. Yeah. Just, it, was, it was weird how that sort of happened. And we just, yeah, we just didn't, weren't, weren't uh, yeah, they were just too good for us in the end. And um, But it was some cracking contests. It was, it was great footy at that time. And But it does make you appreciate what you were able to do and just sad for some blokes that didn't get the opportunity to do it. I, I only know that, uh, that, that, that little triangle because I was a Swans fan. I was a mad Swans fan growing up. And I remember in 05 and 06, I was like, if Adelaide get into any of these grand finals, we're toast. Like, we yeah. can't win. But we can beat West Coast, you know. <laughs> like, we, That's weird, eh? Um, and, and, you know, and then West Coast had, had well, didn't have your measure, but, but, but they were the ones who tended to beat, to beat you guys. You've spoken about um, training a lot, and I was lucky enough to play with you for a little while, and I know how hard you trained. Was it really hard for you later on in your career having to limit the amount of time you spent actually on the track? You still got the time in on the ergo and in the pool and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, the touch actually being out there on the track, did that impact you adversely, do you think? Um, I tried not to let it affect me because, you know, it was was tough and having to deal with, you know, my knee um, at the time. But, you know, it probably helped helped me in good stead was that, the, the brutal sessions I used to do on the bike with Charlie Walsh, the mental side of that, the application you had to put in, and and it was it was important. And you know, if, and when I look back, and I, I still talk to Charlie about it today. But for me, that mentality of 
going out the train and when you when you guys are out there and doing the footy and, and whatnot, and I was missing out and, and you do it, you, you guys were training so hard, but I'd start on the bike probably half an hour before you guys came out, and I'd still be on the bike 20, 30 minutes after you guys went inside. So I'd sit on the bike for three hours and just like be punished. And I've never, I've never, like I've been to hell and back on that thing. I, I look at a bike now and I just, oh, I get shivers, you know. Um, but it just is one of those things that more so for my mentality. That when I did get onto the track, that I felt like I'd never skipped a beat. And I did some, I did extra touch and I did extra, you know. Uh, but it, what, what I couldn't replicate in terms of getting the miles into my legs. With the the running, I could do it on the bike, and um, I think what it did is it changed. I think it made me a, a lot tougher mentally as a player, and I was able to transfer that from the bike onto the oval, and it was good. But what I missed was the competitive stuff, like getting out there and um, taking a screamer on you, and all those sorts of things that um, you know was happened was often. On, on the training stuff, describe what those pre-season sessions are like to people who don't know because if you haven't done them, you need to hear. Oh, brutal. And, and I feel for the guys now. And there's one thing as a player, as an athlete, is that you have an amazing ability to put that hurt way back in this in your little head there that you forget, you forget about it until day one of pre-season again when you come back out there and you feel that pain. It is one of those things that, you know, to be able to, I don't know, to describe it, to get your, your body to push it past levels that you thought you weren't capable of. But it, it's amazing how the body responds. And the great thing I love is being able to work with Neil Craig and, and guys like Charlie Walsh about was that they understood it and they knew that they could push your body and, and your mind to a place where it would respond. Like you thought that's the threshold or that's the ceiling uh-uh. we're going through the ceiling and we know that you, your body will respond. And there's some days, you know, I remember coming home and and, and you were part of that as well. You know, you, you do a session in the morning where you you might turn out 10 to 15 Ks and it's solid work and your legs are smashed and, and whatnot and, and you, do, you come home and you just fall asleep and then you've got to get up. For, you go to sleep for a couple of hours and you get up and you're back into it again. And then you're in the gym and you're doing stuff and then you might be doing some boxing and some grappling and some extra bike sessions or whatever that is. But it's just a, it's a place that if I look back on it, TA, it, I loved it. I love being able to push my body in that and to, to those limits. And uh, for all the pain that I went through, it was certainly worth it and, you know, I wouldn't have had it any other way. When you watch footy now and you look at some of the Indigenous players playing, who are the ones that you go, oh, would have loved to have played with him or, you know, I love the way he goes about it? Oh, there's there's a lot. <laughs> um, are you running for politics, uh, mate? Come on. <laughs> obviously, Buddy. I was like able to play a Buddy in the Dream Team game and that was fantastic. Shawnee Burgo, another one, was able to do that as well. And those guys, they're just phenomenal players and athletes. If I think about the, the modern day, uh, Michael Walters excites me. I love watching him play. There's something about him, that cheekiness. Liam Ryan, I'd be one of those guys. I saw that footage the other day. I'd be one of those guys running in and going, wow. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
Those types of guys, I think, excite you. And, and the other one for me is a bit of a favourite in our house. He wore 23 at the Crows as well. Charlie Cameron. I love watching Charlie play. Like Charlie Boy just – he just is electrifying. He just lights it up um, and just – He's, he's never out of a contest. And that's what I love about him is like you just – one minute you think that – or you see him and he's got his hands on his knees over there and you're like, oh, he's out. The next minute, boom, he's in the corner. You're like, what <laughs> yeah. the hell? And I love that about Charlie and he's probably someone I would love to, you know, to, to play alongside along with those other guys. When you were growing up, you said obviously you wanted to play rugby league. From an Indigenous AFL point of view, who were your idols? You said Michael McLean and you were lucky enough to have him. Who are, who are some of the others? Early days, probably Morris. You know, he was playing. I used to watch him on the winners. Michael Long, for obvious reasons. As a Bombers man, I was like, wow. You know, and I always said to the interesting thing I say about the 93 prelim, I was in Darwin with my football club, the Buffaloes back then. We were in, in a pre-season game. We were in Arnhem Land and we were watching it on a screen there. And here I was screaming for Michael Long and the Bombers to tear him apart and then, a year and a half later, I'm yeah, playing. Have a crow. But you know, Michael Long, he was just amazing. He was just such a such a well balanced player, had lots of time, loved watching him play. Daryl White was someone, you know, he was another territorian, played for my club. I used to love DJ. You know, just his uncanny ability to like he he kick a goal from the boundary. Like that goal of the year kick from torpedo from the boundary. Wrong side. Know, like, wrong, yeah, who does that? Who does those things? And some of his marks. I could talk for days about those guys, but I remember, Tony, I went to the, when I was playing in um, uh, the Teal Cup, 1993, I was lucky to go to the MCG and watch Bombers versus St Kilda, and I was there on the day, I think it was 93, and uh, Nicky Winmar took mark of the year. It was like, I was, Nicky Winmar was amazed. Like, he was a great player. I loved watching Nicky play um, and was lucky to play against him. And he took mark of the year on that day. And Derek Kickett, I reckon, kicked goal of the year on the same day as well. It was amazing. And Derek Kickett ran, he came out of full forward and in Derek Kickett fashion and the ball sort of bumbled around at sort of half forward. He, he tapped it around a couple of guys and he turned around and I reckon off two steps, he launched this torpedo from about 65 from the G and just sailed through the pun end road and it was like, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, you know, so those guys, for me, love watching those guys when, when I was a young bloke. You've just spoken about some amazing moments. I'll give you a flavour of what I mean when I ask this uh, question next. What were some of your favourite, like, individual things that, that you did on the field? Because you were a highlight reel yourself. So for mine, I remember watching the game when you guys were playing the, the Pies at Etihad Stadium. I think Tarkin Lockyer was on you and you've kicked a left foot drop punt that kind of had the buddy shape to it, you know, started right and came back left um, to uh, win the game for the Crows. That's that's one of my lasting memories of you, and then you gave it to the crowd that way. Left foot goal! Oh, don't tell me! He's a superstar! Don't tell me! What about Andrew McLeod? What are some of your favourite, you know, goals or steps or tackles from your career? Oh... Um, well, there's a few. There's a, the goal against um, uh, the Port in the final, I think, where I uh, kicked the goal from about 50. Um, I think the Crows might have put it up a couple of weeks ago. With, uh, Matty Clark, Doc Clark, tapped the ball out, and I was able to come and scoop it up through a little bit of candy to right. uh, Adam, 
Adam Kingsley and then launch one from, from 50. Anytime you beat the uh, – you kick one against Port is good. I kicked a left foot um, goal against Port, which sort of got us over the, the line as well. I think that day Mark Rusciuto had about 40 and kicked three himself. McLeod with speed. They've got to kick this. He has. Those ones close to the edge. The, the Hawthorne game in my second game where I kicked the winning goal. That left foot um, dribble. Yeah, it was, was, you know, it's always one of those memorable ones because of the fact that it was at the start. Just over a minute, Pesh comes away. Big roar from the crowd, kicks inside the 50. They've turned the defence around. McLeod looking for his 15th possession deep in the pocket, stops it as he held. He goes on, open goal. Oh! <laughs> and there's so many moments, T.A., but, you know, for me, it's... Uh, yeah, those and and that that goal against Collingwood is is always good. You know, for one thing that I like, I always wanted to do and be remembered for as a player is that in times when your team needed someone to be able to step up, and I think that's the measure of of great players is that you want to be. And I'm not saying I'm great by any means of the imagination, but I'm saying that's you when are. you want to. Be, that's when you want to be at your best. Is like when the team is looking, you know, for someone to give them something and to inspire them and to drag your teammates. It's about, you know, wanting to be that person that they can look up to. And, and, and I hope for my teammates that, you know, I was able to do that more often than not. Put your coach's hat on. What advice would you give to, you know, 17-year-old Andrew McLeod? What are the pitfalls and perils coming your way and what are the things you need to look out for? i will just, if, if I was... Uh, yeah, if I was going to talk to my 17-year-old self, I'd say don't be in a rush. Just take your time and enjoy. Like, and it's because, you, because your your footy career goes so fast. I remember having a conversation with Chris McDermott and he said, mate, it'll, just, it'll go like that. You'll look back and it does. So be able to take those times and to, to be able to appreciate it. Um, and don't listen to Margaret Shooter about coming back and getting... <laughs> Fat, getting fat. <laughs> no, but I think that's the most important thing. Enjoy it. Just appreciate your, your time. Don't waste time. That's the other thing, probably, is don't waste any time. So get in. And um, if I was to give any advice for guys, is that uh, don't waste a minute. Do everything you can. And, you know, we're lucky that we, we live, we've got a fantastic game. We've got a pl- fantastic platform to be able to get everything out of yourself. And, I wish I'd learnt some of those recovery techniques a bit early, TA. That would have been great. You know, I'd the knees might have held what's... up. <laughs> oh, you know, when you look back, just those little things to be able to, to be able to recover, recover better. But listening to your body is is probably a, is is one of those important things. And um, yeah, you touched on um, missing things, and you know, footy's only getting more and more professional. And you know, the guys are living even in 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 a smaller and smaller bubble. How are you seeing the way the game's going? And then do you like how professional it's going? It's one of those things that I look at now when you go into a, into the club. There's so many people attached to a footy club these days. And, you know, one thing, I guess, what the predicament we find ourselves in now is it's going to take it, scale it back a bit to back to when we were playing a bit. So there's not so many people around and, and, and we did it as well, like as some of the senior guys, you've got to step up and take that responsibility of teaching the younger guys. And I remember this conversation I had with Malcolm Blight many, many moons ago is about, 
you are the you are your best coach, and sometimes the best coach that you can have for your teammates. So for you to be able to do that, and I think we'll see some emergence of some of these some great leadership coming out of what we see because uh, we're not going to have you know this full cohort of coaches around, and and then I'm sad that people are losing their jobs and and, and whatnot over it. It'll it's sort of going to strip footy back to a little bit of its not bare bones, but yeah. I think it's it's going to be good. Look, I love. The game, always love the game. And people always say, would you love to be able to play in this day and age and it's all different and whatnot? No. No. Because that means I wouldn't be satisfied with what I did and and, and what I was doing and, yep. and, and, the, and the career I had. So I don't miss it. I haven't missed it. And I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for everything that, that I was able to get out of it. I, I, was, I was a bit cheeky off the top when I, when I rattled off all of the things that you've done. But... Are you able to look at them now and have that sense of pride because, you know, you're almost separate from it and you can properly look back at it as something that you're not in anymore? It's, for me, it's still a bit, not surreal, but it is a bit like, you know, I don't go and sit in there and just, like, look at my premiership medals or my Norm Smiths and go, oh. I know where they are too, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. Um but no, it's one of those things. I guess I just like if you walked in my house, you probably wouldn't, unless you knew me, then you wouldn't know that I played footy. You know, and I, I try to keep that separate. That was something that I did, and I loved it. And it's been a massive part of my life. Um, but it, it, I just don't want that to define me as who I am. You know, like for me, I'm so much more, um, and. And I'll get greater satisfaction. It's, it's funny because with the programs that Rach and I have run for a number of years now, um, a lot of the kids, and, and I don't, I don't go in there and I don't, I don't flip on the highlight straight away and say, hey, "This is, you know, this is who <laughs> this I is am." This is some good stuff. Watch up. Uh, <laughs> it, sometimes it takes those kids uh, a few months to um, to, to work out to realise who I am, and, you know, and, and then they go, "Oh, you're pretty good." Oh yeah, I wasn't bad. So. Um, yeah, it's not. It's certainly something that doesn't define me, and um, I'd rather be defined by you know the, the the work that I do off the field and some of the stuff and having that influence about just being a good person. Well, really good answer to that question. And then lastly, we've we've spoken away from this about lists and all that kind of stuff and pitting people against each other, and you probably told me off a little bit about it. But regardless of rankings and that kind of thing. When you're considered in, in something like the deadliest, what does that mean to you? That you must be deadly, eh? <laughs> <laughs> nah. Um, for me, it's a great honour and I think it is, it's great. And it have, we just have, we tend to do this a lot in, but I'm always about, well, appreciate people for, you know, who they are, what they bring to it and we're, we're all very different. You know, you and I, we're, we're so different in the terms of talent and, and what, what we're able to add to the game. So, you know, so if you were to compare, say, if I was, I was to compare myself with, with Adam Goods, you know, Goodsy, great friend of mine, great friend of ours. Um, we love Goodsy, but we're just totally different players. So, how, like, you know, where Goodsy played and, and whatnot, you just, it's just like, it's hard to compare. And I just like, I appreciate someone like Goodsy because, you know, he, he won the Brownlow in two different positions. You know, he's a multiple All-Australian. He's just a champion. But more so he's a great person. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you know, I look at – I tend to look at it like that. Um, and, you know, when if you see yourself up against someone like 
said Doug Nichols or, and you're like, man, I'm not even in that. Don't even put me in that league. I don't have a round named after me yet. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that out. It's a little bit embarrassing to say that, okay, for someone, for when you're in that, in that, you know, when you're in, when you're considered in that, um, I guess, to, to be in that thing. And while, while it's good and it tickles the ego and it's all fantastic, it's a bit like, yeah, I, I tend to stay quite humble about those things. Um, well, I'll never have to worry about that, brother. Um, I'm not get- except, except, when, except when I'm around you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to get thrown up onto those kind of lists. But uh, I just I just wanted to say, uh, to wrap up, in all seriousness, I know I take the mick a lot. Growing up, you were one of my heroes and one of my idols, and then I was lucky enough to get to know you and your family. And I think... Like you were saying about, you know, what you want to be known as and with your legacy, I think despite everything that you've done on the field, the person that you are is your best trait. And um, thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. I know that you're going to pay me out in our group text after this. (laughs) I'm not looking forward to that. But um, no, it's it's so great to see you have a chat and talk about what is a great football career. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you very much. No worries. Don't forget to tune in to Yoko Footy at 8pm Wednesdays on NRTV and the AFL Network.